I want you to look in your book, if you would, to Micah chapter 6. Micah chapter 6. And we'll start our reading in verse number 3 and just read down through verse uh, number 9. But if, you, if you'll observe as I read, and I'm not going to point it out, but I think you'll see it. You can see God talking. You can see the people talking back to God. And then you can see what the prophet has to say about this communication. Micah chapter 6 and verse number 3. O my people, what have I done unto thee? And wherein have I wearied thee? Testify against me. For I brought thee up out of the land of Egypt and redeemed thee out of the house of servants. And I went before Thee. I sent before thee Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember now what Balak, king of Moab, consulted, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him from Shedom unto Gilgal, that ye may know the righteousness of the Lord. Wherewithal shall I come before the Lord and Bow myself before the high God. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He hath showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy? And to walk humbly with thy God. The Lord's voice crieth unto the city, and the man of wisdom shall see thy name. Hear ye the rod, and who hath appointed it? Father in heaven, we thank you for this wonderful book. Our brother here has stood up with a Bible in his hand and told how wonderful it has been to him and what it's meant to him. And all of us in this room that are redeemed could say amen. The Bible is, it's the book of our life. It's the book that shapes our thinking and controls our actions and helps us to be what we ought to be as a Christian. I pray you'd help us tonight in these few minutes that I think I should talk to these people about what you've laid upon my heart to discuss with them this evening. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, do a work in some folks' lives. And I think, as already been said tonight, if there's someone here that's not a Christian, they've never truly been born again, that tonight would be the night that they would be saved. And I pray you'd help Christians instruct us uh, help us, Lord, to submit to your will. Uh, thank you for the testimony of the young lady on the piano tonight being saved as a 14-year-old girl and keeping her away from some things in this old world. And this world is a mess. There's not a person in this room that's even conscious or aware that isn't cognizant of that fact. Lord, inside this room tonight is some dedicated, consecrated, sold-out children of thine who have come out on maybe a difficult night before we get home in the rain. And I pray that you'd bless them and pray that you'd help them 
And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. I would like to preach this from the back to the front or from the start to the finish, but I'm going to preach it the way the Lord's laid it out in the Bible. I want to ask you this question uh, amongst many questions. Uh, What has God done to you? How do you feel like God has mistreated you? When did he hurt you or cause you to function or act in the way that you do? Down in verse number eight is the question that to me is the question of the night. Where he said, what does God require? What does God require of me? What does God require of you? What does he require from the youth? What does he require from those that are middle-aged people? What does he require of us who are in the sunset years of our earthly sojourn? Our gospel is an irreducible gospel. It is the same in Austin, Texas as it is in Vienna, Austria. It is the same in Chattanooga as it is in Cairo. The gospel is the same around the world. Now I think man has created divides and divisions and even if you'll forgive me this word, denominations that boldly proclaim sometimes some man-made tenets that eventually doom and damn men's souls to a devil's hell. Some have destroyed nations and with blatant carelessness have defeated people in their search for God. Sometimes we, it's a terrible personal illustration. Sometimes we reject people on someone's say-so. Some long-tongued gossip sees something and so they say something and ruins and hurts people's lives. I was a principal of a Christian school a long, long time ago. It's a distant memory and I thank God for it that as you get older you can't remember a lot of stuff. And I don't remember much about it, but one thing that's always haunted me We started school, I don't know what year it was in my tenure there. I had started the school in 1974 in my father's church. And this family had been in my dad's church for a long time. I knew all the kids and uh, and they had a little young daughter who was much younger, of course, than the kids that I ran with. And uh, she was in the Christian school and, oh, got up maybe to 10th grade or 11th grade and And uh, we had, uh, I don't know, our Christian school was about the size of the congregations that's here tonight. And so I had them in uh, orientation the first day or so of school. And I was up there ranting and raving about if you did this over the summer, if you did that over the summer, you ought to just stay home and forget about it. So somebody came up to me, a lady came up to me, one of the school teachers. And she said, I saw so-and-so dress so-and-so over the summertime. 
It, it grieved me to hear it. I didn't know what I was going to do about it, but it was out of my hands. For the next day, her mother came into the office and pulled her daughter out of school. That story has long-range ramifications that I don't even care to discuss tonight. You know, I know sometimes our followers, they get weary of the requirements, and God even talks about this in this portion of Scripture. He's talking, the Lord there in verse number 3, I think you can hear all the great pathos in his voice and the heartbreak. He says, oh, my people, what have I done unto thee? Wherein have I wearied thee? Testify, he says, against thee. Tell me where I hurt you. Tell me how I have mistreated you. You would, could imagine there's an uncomfortable silence there. So God doesn't even wait for their answer. He said, well, I'll just rehearse for you for a moment what I have done for you. I want to give you a realistic look at how I've treated you from my perspective. Look what he says in verse 4. I brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. There's not a sinner in this room tonight that is saved that God hasn't brought you up out of the land of Egypt. He's delivered you from the slavery of the sin of your past. He's broke the bondage of the iniquity of your old life. He has set you free. You fill in the blank. What was that sin that kept you from coming for a while? What was that sin perhaps that has even haunted you since you have been saved? What is that thing that seems to have a hold on your life? God can deliver you from that. You know, there's an organization I... I don't know anything about them. I never went to AA. I have AAA, but I don't have AA. And the way I understand that, they consider themselves always an alcoholic. We had an old man that lived across the street from us when uh, we lived in Michigan, and he was a quote-unquote recovering alcoholic. I don't think Smitty ever went back to the bottle, but he'd had... Uh, trouble with it way, way uh, early in his life. He was a World War II veteran and saw things he, he couldn't even talk about them. The kids, my boys would pump him. They wanted to know stuff. And if I was there, he'd hit tears, big tears would gather up in his eyes and he, he wouldn't say a thing. I don't know what he told the boys. But you know, if you go to AA and you think all you are is an alcoholic, uh, really what they are, they are drunks that deny themselves a drink. However, when the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. You are not a recovering anything. You are regenerated 
redeemed child of the living God makes all the difference in the world. He said, I redeemed you out of the house of servants. Our position has been radically changed. Our spirits have been redemptively corrected. Our life has been revolutionized. Our mind has been reconstructed. And thank God, our final destination has been rerouted. I was headed for hell. Somebody else said that tonight. I think the brother back there said that. We are now headed for heaven. We're not even going to take a side trip to that awful place. We've been given a new name. Now, I'm called a lot of things. My wife, well, I won't tell you what she calls me. She calls me a dummy sometimes which is a pretty accurate statement on her part. And she loves me, and she calls me dear, and uh, she calls me sweetheart sometimes, and I have sons, they call me dad, and I have uh, grandchildren, they call me bumpy, and uh, I have friends that call me, uh, you know, brother. That is my most favorite title as a child of God. Sometimes you get called reverend. Sometimes you get called evangelist. I got a doctor's degree. I don't know how I got it. Some idiot gave it to me way back when. I didn't earn it. (laughs) Well, maybe I have earned it over the years. I don't know. But I tell you, my favorite name is brother. I love it. I love to be called brother. I call people, and when I'm in gas stations or stores or places, I call people their brother, and they're not even brothers. Just part of that new name. <laughs> because I have a new master. And I have a new mission. And I have a new motivation. And I'm in a new family. And I've got a new future. We have an inheritance in the family of God. We are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We've been redeemed from the house of servants. And they said, I sent before thee Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. He gives us some new role models. Moses was a leader, and Aaron was a spokesman, and Miriam, uh, she was an example sometimes of good and sometimes of bad, just to be honest. But in God's divine providence, he gives you a pastor, a good pastor. He gives you a pastor that loves you and cares for you and is concerned about your every need. He keeps in touch with you and interested in what's going on in your life. Maybe you have some good evangelists come through here, excluding me. (laughs) And some faithful missionaries that come by here. Listen, you're not lucky. You have been blessed of God. I'll I'll tell you one way you tell a good evangelist. If he doesn't come around to you and say, listen, brother, I'd like to have your phone number. I'll tell you, sir, I'd like to have your address. I'm going to put you on my mailing list. That guy is a con man, and I'd run him. I wouldn't give him. I'd give him your neighbor's address, if I was you. (laughs) 
these trumpeters of truth that come into our lives, it tells us that mercy has touched us. God wants to help us. God has been good to us in our lives. You could have, you know, there in verse number five, you could have got a Balak. You could have got a, a Balaam. You could have had somebody who had an agenda was not positive in your behalf. We have a God tonight that walks the dark valleys of life and he helps us and delivers us from the caverns of doubt and gives us victory in Jesus. My dad is a, he's almost 93 years old. He'll be 93 years old a month from tomorrow. And he's not healthy. He can't get out and preach anymore. He can't walk anymore. He can't see anymore. He can't hear anymore. He's just in bad shape. And my dad has a reputation of preaching against everything. I mean everything. He preaches against everything. If you're doing it, he, it's wrong. He's going to nail it. He just, he just like, that's just him. But I, and, and guys, you know, preachers that I don't really know, and I meet them, and, you know, they, oh, yeah, I've heard of your dad. He preaches against this, and he preaches against that. And really, most of the stuff that they think he preaches against, he doesn't even preach against because they don't, and they don't know the story behind it and all of that. But my dad has uh, two classic sermons that I am, I'm so glad I heard, and I really, I wish I could listen to them about every month, but I don't have a, a DVD of them or, I mean, a CD of them or a, a cassette or an eight-track or even an old reel-to-reel tape of them. And some of you don't, what in the world is that old man talking about up there tonight? But my dad's got a sermon called The History of the Holy Ghost. And it talks about how, you know, the Spirit of God moved in uh, Genesis chapter 1 upon the face of the deep. And he follows how the Spirit of God in various places throughout the Bible and uh, culminating uh, perhaps at Pentecost and then on into uh, the book of the Revelation. We overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony and so on. And, and the Spirit of God is moving there. And interest, it's an interesting sermon. And he talks about how the Spirit of God moved in our family and, and in his life as a young man and his parents getting saved in a Methodist church and his dad going off to Bible school at J. Frank Norris's and, and all that. It's just an interesting, wonderful, not only a history of the Holy Ghost, but the history of the Holy Ghost at work in our family. Amen. And I'm going to tell you something. The Holy Ghost has worked in your family. If you're saved here tonight, you've been saved in a length of time, you can take a trip down memory lane and see where the good Holy Ghost of God has helped your family. When there are situations that seem beyond control, situations there seem like no answer for, God moves in and delivers like the young people saying just a little bit ago. He's got another great sermon. And it's from Acts chapter 5 and that story when Peter, you know, they've, well, I tell you, you talk about a rough preacher he must have been. Uh, sir, I heard you sold some property. What would you sell it for? Well, I sold it for $10,000. Blam, he drops dead. 
all right, boys, carry him out. You boys just carry him out and bury him. We're not even going to have a funeral. And his wife shows up three hours later. Well, Sister Sapphira, how, you got that good $10,000 for that property. Oh, yeah, that's what it was. Blam, she dies. And what a, I tell you, I don't know if I'd even want to go to that church. There's a little phrase down there that he healed people, and the Bible says, at the least, the shadow. Peter's shadow would just fall on somebody and get healed. And my dad would talk about the men in his life, and he, I think he uses seven men. He was stuck on seven points to every sermon. I, I'm stuck on sermons that are pointless, but <laughs> <laughs> he talked about seven men whose shadow fell across the path of his life and helped him. And you've had some men that have come across your life. You've had some people that have had a great influence on your life, Amen. made an impact in your life. Yes, in verse number six, the people's response, wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? What do you mean? What do you mean? I got to make some kind of sacrifice? Do I have to make him love me? Do I have to let him know about my dedication? Do I have to try to be very spiritual? I'm going to say this to you tonight. If you don't listen to another thing I say, listen to this. There is nothing you can do to make God love you anymore. And there is nothing you will ever do to make God love you any less. He loves us unequivocally. With, I mean, there's no qualms about it. There's no pretense about it. He loves us tonight. You get out in the world doing things you ought not to do as a Christian, he loves you, and those, those bands of love can draw you back to him. You ought to quit it. You ought to quit living carnal. You ought to quit living loose. It's a lie of the devil that you can do anything you want to do and everything will be all right. My dad, I don't know, I'm talking about him a lot tonight. I told you, did I tell you about the offering? I think I told you about the offering he got. And I preached and he got the offering. That was a bad deal from my, my perspective. But I guess that was yesterday. But, uh, my dad's the whole, most holy Baptist I know. I mean, he is as straight, as straight as any Baptist preacher I know in America. And there might be somebody straighter than him, but I don't, I've never met the guy. I mean, he's just straight. And my dad sometimes would say, you know, if you quit doing this, God will bless you. You know, and I look at our family. My dad is the holiest Baptist I know, and my mother died at 45. And my dad's buried two of his kids. And he's got a crippled grandson, my boy. And uh, he's got a crippled daughter-in-law, my brother John's wife, in a wheelchair. And there's been all kinds of problems and all kinds of junk that happens. Listen, just because you have some negative things come into your life doesn't mean that God isn't using you. Sometimes he allows those things I think it's 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4, so we can help other people that go through those same kind of things. Somebody, one guy told me one time he read that book about our family, 
And he said, really, you ought to put crime tape around your family. Or assign, enter, enter at your own risk. Who'd want to get in the green family? Just going to have problems all the time. You can get rid of everything and have no more peace or victory than before. Ask Job. He was the best man in the world at his time. And he had more problems than anybody else in his time. The solution, look at verse 7. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? You think more sacrifice or bigger sacrifice or more elaborate or maybe just wear black suits and white shirts and, you know, trying to find God's favor by what I can do? That's foolishness. Or maybe make the ultimate sacrifice and sacrifice my child, the fruit of my body. You know, we don't believe in sacrificing babies in America. We just believe in aborting babies by the tens of millions. I would say this. You know, and I'm a preacher's kid and I grew up in a preacher's home. I don't think it's right. You know, if, 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 and a preacher can straighten me out after the church tonight, I got to go home with him and he'll preach to me if I'm wrong. Come up to my room, we'll have a, we'll get down on our knees and get right if we have to. <laughs> or I might take him home and get him right. That'd be a blessing. Amen. No, Lita, <laughs> wherever she is. But I, you know, God does something in a pastor's life and a preacher's life and he grows him to some certain level, that doesn't mean everybody in the congregation is going to get to the same level. That's almost an impossibility. Just keep working on it. You know, like an evangelist would come to church and, you know, I've got convictions, but I don't enforce my convictions on anybody. I hardly can get my wife to do what I want her to do. (laughs) That would be a crazy thing to do in my humble opinion. But I want to say this. Our great God, our loving Lord, can ask of each of us whatever he so desires. And we ought to say, yes, sir. I'll do it. You know, a lot of times people are asked to sacrifice their kids by somebody who has ruined their own. I wouldn't pay a lick of attention to them. I wouldn't, I wouldn't mess with them two minutes. Don't sacrifice your children on some man's altar. And if you have, listen, if you have an intimate relationship with God, you will not be intimidated by man. Intimidation is not the work of the Holy Spirit. Intimidation is the work of the enemy. Now that's the introduction. Here's the message. What does the Lord require of you? He said there in verse number eight, O man, he hath shewed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee? Three things. One, do 
justly. You have been justified. It ought to be easy to do justly. Don't be a schemer. Do what is right by people. Be kind. Be gentle. Be honest. Be faithful. 2 Timothy 2 and 24 says the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men. I was in a conference one time preaching with a guy, I won't call his name, but he's as big a shot as the biggest shots could be. And I, that was my text, that the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle. And I just asked the question, the rhetorical question, uh, when's the last time someone called you a gentleman? And went on preaching. He got up, first thing out of his mouth. I can't remember the last time anybody called me a gentleman. And people laughed, thought it was a great deal. I didn't think too much of it. And I don't think Paul writing to Timothy thought too much of it. We're to be gentlemen. We're to do right. A gentleman. It's a wonderful thing. I was preaching... I was preaching in Texas last Sunday, and a precious little lady, I don't know if she's about this tall, little tiny girl. I have never had anybody, Brother Ellis, say this to me in my entire life. She was talking to me, and I was talking to her, and she told me a little bit of her testimony. She came out of the Mormon faith, and God had saved her, and the rest of her family still Mormon, gave her all kinds of problems. And uh, she's just a little gal. And she said, you are so sweet. I never had anybody. My wife doesn't even say that about me. <laughs> I told my I said, honey, you ain't going to believe what some little old gal called me today. She said I was sweet. Be so that you can be recommended without fear or qualms. May your closets be just as clean as your living room. May you be just as right in private as you appear in public. Do justly. And then he said, love mercy. You know, if you love mercy, you'll show mercy. You've received mercy, you ought to show it to other people. I love mercy for myself and give it to others. You don't want to be like that guy. You know, he got forgiven of that great debt and he saw a buddy that owned him a quarter and he about beat the devil out of him. And they said, his boss, the guy that he owed the money to financially said, throw that rascal in prison. Now, that's not quite the way the Bible says it, but you know what I'm talking about because it's not in my notes. God help us to be givers. God help us to be faithful. My wife and I, we went up to a, I, I played hockey for, I don't know, 20 years. Do you folks in, down here know what hockey is? Played hockey, and uh, we were, I loved hockey. I still I like it, but I'm I'm not a I don't haven't been to a hockey game in a long time. But my wife and I we went up uh, to Columbus. There's a hockey team up there, and they were playing the Detroit Red Wings. So we went up. I I think it was on a Friday night game. Might have been Thursday night. I can't remember. And uh, we went up. And we spent the night, and then the next day we went to a little uh, restaurant just down from the hotel. And I walked in, and I said, "Hon, I'm going to go in the room." And I went in the uh, the room there that you have in the restaurant besides where you eat. And uh, when I came out, there was a, uh, looked like a 
I mean, just a powerfully, I, I, don't, I don't look like this at all, powerfully built guy, black guy, with no shirt on, sitting at the table with my wife. And I thought maybe it was an old boyfriend. I didn't know. And I walked up to the table and said, could I help you, sir? I mean, he could have whipped me if he wanted to be one finger, probably. And he said, I'm hungry. And uh, I said, well, you know, they, it, it was a real fancy restaurant. Real fancy. They had these golden arches. <laughs> and they had hamburgers. They had cheeseburgers for $1. And if you were a senior citizen, you could get your drink for 35 cents. Buck 35. Now, me and her could eat, man, for $2.70. And uh, I said, well, you, what's the matter? He said, I'm hungry. I haven't eaten in a couple of days. He didn't look like he hadn't eaten in a couple of days. And I said, well, uh, I'll, I'll get you what we're having. He said, what do you have? I said, well, we're having a cheeseburger that's a dollar and 35 cents senior citizen. I'll lie about your age and I'll get the same thing you get. I had another dollar 35 and I, I fed the guy. And I got a chance to witness to him. When he found out I was a preacher. He, he, he got saved immediately. I mean, or he acted like he was and he lied about it. I'm sure of that. You know, Oswald Chambers said this, anyone that asks anything of you, take it as from God. And give. Love mercy. You know, there's a lot of mess-ups today. A lot of preachers get messed up. A lot of people get messed up. Maybe more than ever. But it's a time, I think, to love mercy. Love mercy. Maybe to be more merciful than we have ever been. And then the last little thought, walk humbly with thy God. No strut, no forwardness, no arrogance, no pride, no bragging. And I tell you, one of the most reprehensible things I ever, I can't, can I, I'm going to I'm going to confess. I can't stand to listen to a preacher that is the hero in every single illustration every single story that he tells because I am not the hero of hardly any of the stories that I tell I'm always the, the idiot I'm always the guy that gets ripped off besides that I know they're lying I think a sanctified heart is in complete opposition to that Oswald Chambers said this if I want to know what my heart is like, let me listen to my mouth in an unguarded frame for five minutes. Let me, if I want to know what I really am inside, let me just listen to myself for five minutes. Some of the stuff I talk about, some of the things I say. You do justly. You love mercy, and you walk humbly before our God. He'll speak to you about your attire, about your attitude, about your actions, about the articles you're reading, 
about the audio you're listening to, and you will have no problem eliminating what God talks to you about. He has brought us as children of God from the fields of sin. He brought me, he brought you with arms of love and waves of grace. Look where you've been. Look tonight where you might have been. And think about it. Look where you are going one of these sweet days. There waits for us a glad tomorrow via the rapture and the reunion with our dear Lord. We've been born of his spirit. We've received his forgiveness. We have been baptized into his family. May you help. May you allow him to live his life through you. You are an heir to the promises of Abraham. You can be spirit-filled and led by Christ and be what God would have you to be. I must have been reading Oswald Chambers a lot when I put this message together a couple of years ago. He said this, and I'm done. We are at liberty to stop short at any point. And our Lord will never cast it up at us. But think what we shall feel like when we see him. If all the thank you that we give him for his unspeakable salvation was an obstinate determination to serve him in our own way with our own agenda and not his. You know, you can tell if someone's right with God if the attitude of their heart requires requires that they've been to Calvary to get it. Calvary will make a profound change in the life of any human being who would come to that place. I'm not just talking about the Calvary of salvation. I'm talking about the Calvary of dying to self. Dying to self.